All right, if you got your Bibles, open up to Colossians chapter 3. We're going to look at verses 5 through 11 this morning. All right, so we've been talking about the pursuit of the Christian life, that we as uh, believers, that we are called in Colossians 3, 1, to pursue uh, the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. So we've been talking about if we are going to be Christians, if we are going to pursue God, if that is going to be the direction and the aim of our life, that we want to live a life that glorifies God, that honors God, that exalts Him, what does that look like? And we've been talking about how there's really kind of three things that Paul talks about here that stand out to kind of help shape the direction of our faith. Last week, we looked at the idea of making a choice. Set your mind. Uh, he told, or he said in 3 2, he says, Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are the earth. So we talked about uh, making that decision that walking with God, following God, wasn't something that just happened accidentally. It didn't happen by chance. It didn't happen by magic. It happens by us choosing to say, I'm going to follow God. I'm going to walk with God. I'm going to do the things that I need to do to put God first in my life. This morning, we're going to the next section of verses 5 through 11, and we are looking at the idea of fighting against sin. Because if we are going to walk with God, first we have to choose to walk with God. We have to choose to say, hey, I find worth and value in God. I know that God is good. He's the one that I want to live for. To do that means we have to fight against our sin. And so this morning, that's the idea. As we pursue God, that means we fight against our sin. Now, as we look at the passage this morning, uh, the, the passage kind of has a, a re- repetitive uh, layout. Um, but what I mean by that is Paul kind of makes the same point twice. If we were labeling this as like a poem, it would be ABC, ABC, uh, the way that he lays out his argument. So here it is. Let me just kind of give you the rundown of verses 5 and 8. He talks about, or he gives the charge to get rid of sin out of your life. In the second parts of verses 5 and 8, he kind of labels what sin is. He kind of gives us some illustrations, some examples of what sin is. And then verses 6 and 7 and verses 9 through 11, he gives us the reason to fight against our sin. So that's going to be the flow that we follow this morning. Instead of starting with verse 5 and working all the way through verse 11, we're going to kind of follow this kind of pattern that Paul set out. So we'll start by looking at the charge against sin, what sin is, and why we should fight against sin. So let's look at the passage. Let's read it, verses 5 through 11 of Colossians chapter 3. We'll pray, then we'll make our way through the passage. It says this, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Remember, everything that we've talked about so far, that is of the earth, that which is earthly. He's talking about sin there. All right, so put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these two you once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Let's pray. 
Father God, we come before you now. Just thank you for this time. We thank you for your word. Father God, I pray that as we look at your word, Father God, that you would speak to our hearts through your word that is living and active, that you would speak to our hearts through the Holy Spirit. And Father God, I pray for every believer in this room, Father God, there is none of us who are perfect. Father God, I pray that if there is any sin that we are not wrestling with, sin we are not fighting against, sin that we are not confessing or repenting, Father God, that you would convict us. Father God, that you would point it out, that we might repent. Father God, that we might... um, Strive to live for you and glorify you and live a life, God, in peace and in joy and in uh, happiness with you. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. All right, so the first thing that we're going to see is two ways that we address our sin. So as we start off, as Paul starts off, he gives us two ways that we need to view our sin. And this is why I think this is important for us to see because... We live in a world where we're told that sin is not that bad, that sin is commonplace, that sin is to be embraced, that sin is to be accepted as good. And so if we are going to fight against sin, then we've got to view sin a certain way and understand why sin is what it is and why it's something that needs to be addressed and and how we are to do so. So the first thing that we see in verse 5 is we strive to put our sin to death. In verse 5, he says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Now, when he says put to death, there's two ways that we can you look at that. Two ways that we can view that statement. The first is this, that we are to reckon ourselves dead to sin. Now, this is an idea that Paul has already addressed in Colossians, and really he addresses in a lot of his writings. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 20, he says this, If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, if you died to your flesh, if you died to sin, why as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to these regulations? Colossians 3.3, For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ. When he talks about dying right there, he talks about dying to sin, dying to sin's control, dying to sin's uh, dominating desire and dominating passion in our lives. Romans chapter 6 is probably the greatest chapter where Paul talks about this, what God has done in our life with our sin. In Romans 6.11 it says this, So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So as we take this idea of reckoning ourselves dead or considering ourselves dead to sin... What that means is we've got to look at sin as something that has been taken out of our life, something that has been cut out of our life, something that is no longer a part of who we are. Because Jesus Christ died and we died with Him. He died to the power of sin. Sin does not control us anymore. Sin does not dominate us anymore. And sin is not to be a part of our life. God, when when Jesus Christ died for us, God took that and is in the process of cutting that, removing that from our life. And mentally, our perspective on sin should be, that is dead to me, that is no longer a part of my life, that is not good to me, that has no value to me. I want it away. I don't want it a part of who I am. I was trying to think of a way to to illustrate this. And the only thing that came to mind isn't the the nicest story, but I think it's a story that, that, that makes a point. 
Before I got married, I owned a house and I had kind of like, I think four or five different roommates kind of cycle through uh, the period when I owned that house before Jessica and I got married and then she moved in. And one was a, a guy named Adam. Me and Adam were good friends. Adam uh, worked at a um, distribution center. Um, one day he was there and there was an accident where he was hit by a forklift. Forklift caught him right in the leg just below the knee. He had to have his leg amputated just below the knee. He lost that part of his leg. That part of his body was cut off from the rest of his body. Now, once he went through that, once he went through the surgery, once he got fitted for a new leg, he did not take that old leg and keep it around. That old leg was considered dead to the rest of his body. It was no longer a part of who he was. His body was now a new body without this aspect of it. And so that's the same thing that Paul is talking about here when he's talking about this idea of Christ and of considering ourselves dead, that this is a part of our life that has been removed from us through Christ, that we are to consider it as no longer part of who we are. So we look at sin and we say, we don't say, oh, well, this isn't so bad, or I really like this, or, or it's okay if I keep this little bit of sin in my life. No, we look at sin and we say, this, I have died to this. This is a deceased part of my life that is no longer a part of who I am. The second way that we can take this passage or this uh, phrase where he says put to death is not just consider yourself dead or reckon yourself dead, but to actually take the sin in your life and fight against it to kill it, put it to death. The Greek verb here carries with it the idea of this continual process, something that we are doing daily, that we are attacking the sin in our life, that we see the temptation that we are drawn to. We see the sin that we battle with. And we say, this is not going to be a part of my life. I want it dead. I want it deceased. I no longer want it to be a part of who I am. That we decide, I am going to make war against the sin in my life. Put it to death. Get it out. That's not who Christ is. That's not who Christ has saved me to be. I'm dead to this. I do not want this in my life. It is not just the understanding that we have died to it, but it's the active decision to say, I will fight against sin in my life. There's a book called The Pursuit of God by a guy named A.W. Tozer. If you've never read it, you can find it online for free or you can find it pretty cheap at different stores. Uh, it's a short book, a very small book. But let me encourage you, if you're ever just looking for something to read, check this out. Outside of the Bible, this is one of the most influential books that I've ever read, uh, at least for my life. And in the second chapter, he writes this about fighting against sin. He says, the ancient curse, that's talking about sin, the ancient curse will not go out painlessly. The tough old miser within us will not lie down and die obedient to our command. He must be torn out of our heart like a plant from the soil. He must be extracted in agony and blood like a tooth from the jaw. He must be expelled from our soul by violence as Christ expelled the money changers from the temple. And we shall need to steel ourselves against His piteous begging and to recognize it as springing out of self-pity, one of the most reprehensible sins of the human heart. If we would indeed know God in growing intimacy, we must go this way of renunciation. And if we are set upon the pursuit of God, He will sooner or later bring us to this test. 
We have to make a decision that sin is not to be a part of our life. That we understand what God offers us is so much greater and what sin offers us is so much less. And ultimately it is death and destruction. And we have to make that willful choice, that willful decision that says, I'm going to fight against sin. I'm not going to be casual with sin. I'm not going to be lazy with sin. I'm not going to say, well, these are bad sins, so I'll get rid of them. But these sins aren't that bad. These sins are a little okay, so I'll keep them in my life. No, we have to make make a decision that says, I won't sin out of my life. I will fight against it. I will battle against it. I will put it to death. So that's the first way that we see in this passage that that, um, we have to view sin. The second we see in verse 8, and then we see that we must embrace the change that comes with Christ. He says, in verse 8, he says, but now you must put them all away. Here, Paul uses a completely different verb. In uh, verse 5, he used that verb that says, put it to death. Here, this verse says, put them away. And really, the idea or the picture that comes with this verb, this idea of put them away, means to put them off, to make a change. The idea that carries with it is the idea of changing clothes. You take a a sweater or a jacket or a dress or whatever, something that that used to be a part of your wardrobe. It used to be something that you wore, but, but now, it no longer fits. It no longer fits your wardrobe. And so now no longer fits your body. So you put it off and you change into new clothes and you take that which no longer fits, that which no longer fits, and you get rid of it. You throw it out. You give it away. You burn it. Whatever you do with your old clothes. And now you are in new clothes. You have put on something new because that which used to be on you no longer fits. And in the same way, as we look at sin, remember, we have been saved by God's grace. We have been changed by God's grace. We have been adopted into God's family. We have been made new creatures, new creations. And so that which used to be, that which used to be commonplace for us, that which used to adorn our lives and adorn our body, no longer has a place in our life. So as we get rid of old clothing, as we change into new clothes, and we get rid of that which is old. We get rid of that doesn't fit us anymore. Sin no longer fits our life because now we have a new king. We have a new father. Now we're no longer slaves. We're no longer dead. We are alive in Christ. We have been forgiven of our sins. We are adopted into God's family. So now sin no longer has a place in our life. It no longer fits who we are. It no longer fits our desires. It no longer fits where we find our pleasure and our hope and our joy. And so we are to be making a change in our life we are, we are, where we are getting rid of those things that no longer fit, where we are getting rid of that that sin, those desires, those character traits. We are getting rid of this stuff that no longer fits us, and we are clothing ourselves in Christ and walking with Him and loving Him and in following Him. So the two ways that Paul kind of lists out here shows us that we need to view sin is one, sin is something that we have died to, that we need to make war against, and sin is something that we are in the process of changing, that it no longer fits our life and is something that we are working to get rid of in our life. Second, we see two ways that sin impacts our life. So here in verses 5, the second part of verse 5, the second part of 8, Paul lists two different sections of sin. And we'll look at them in a second. 
But I want us to understand that, that sin does affect and impact our life. I know I've used this illustration a ton, but I, I use it because to me it's the best mental illustration. If you think of those old cartoons when they would take a snowball and they would roll it down a hill and as it rolled, that snow compacted on it and what started off awfully small gets so big that it's like this big boulder of snow plowing down on whoever it is that it's chasing. And that's what sin does in our life. Sin starts off small. It starts off as something that we think is manageable. But if we don't fight against it, if we don't confess our sins, if we don't repent against our, repent of our sins, if we don't go to God and recognize our sins and beg for His help and beg for His strength, then that sin is going to grow and grow and grow and grow until it takes over our, our lives. And so we have to understand that sin will impact our life. Sin is not content to stay small. Sin is not content to kind of keep one small aspect of our life. Sin wants all of it. Sin wants the whole thing. And so we have to understand that if we let sin live even just a little bit, sin will dominate all of who we are. So we fight against our sin because of sin's ability to impact and affect and change who we are. So the first thing that we see in verse 5 about sin is that sin has the power to shape who we are. Paul lists out these sins, sexual morality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Now, I've kind of labeled these two lists of sins that Paul gives out here. I'm going to tell you why in a second. But the first, I'm calling these driving force sins. These are those sins that can, can really wreck the direction of our life. These are those sins that can kind of take the, um, the, the pursuit, the direction of our life. And if we don't fight against them, if we don't repent, they can really shift the direction of our life, change the tracks of our life where we're no longer pursuing Christ. But this sin has completely dominated who we are. So here, let me just kind of really quickly run through these sins, kind of define them, describe them so we're all on the same page here. Sexual morality. This is kind of an all-encompassing wording or sin that Paul uses a lot that describes any sin, or sorry, any sexual activity outside the confines of biblical marriage. So this is anything that happens sexually outside of the marriage of a man and a woman. This is lust. This is pornography. This is sex before marriage. This is adultery, sex with someone who is not your spouse. This is homosexuality. This is an all-encompassing word that means any sex outside of a married man and woman, woman and what they do together. Anything outside of that is included in this idea of sexual immorality. And we live in a world where our world has been captivated by sex. And it's nothing new going all the way back. It's the reason why um, prostitution is called the, the world's oldest uh, uh, job or, or occupation. It's because our world has always been captivated by sex and sexual morality. Next is impurity or moral uncleanness. This is immorality kind of in all forms. Lying, cheating, violence, murder. Then you have passion. In this context, this is a drive or desire for sin that does not rest until it is satisfied. This is allowing temptation to drive and control your life. Evil desire kind of follows along with that. This is a longing for sin. And then covetousness. 
which Paul says is idolatry. A lot of times we think of covetousness as simply wanting, wanting that truck that our neighbor has or wanting that house that our neighbor has or wanting the bank account that our neighbor has. But what Paul says, see, Paul takes it a step farther and he says it's not just wanting what someone else has, but this actually is a form of idolatry where this can drive you to where you desire these things more than you desire God. And the point that Paul is making here as he lists these out is that sin does not occur in a, or occur in a vacuum. Sin does not happen kind of in this vacuum where it only uh, happens in this moment. But sin, like we said, sin is going to try to take control of our life. And if we allow these sins to go unencumbered in our life, if we allow these sins to go without us confessing, without us fighting, without us repenting, Understand, I'm not saying that we're going to be perfect. We will not be perfect and sinless until we get to heaven. But now here on earth, when we face sin, when we sin, we are to confess that sin and repent of that sin. When we face temptation, we are to confess to God that we are being tempted and we need help and we need strength so that we can persevere against it. When we face sin, when we encounter sin, God has given us the abilities through His Word, through the Holy Spirit to fight against it. God has shown us His grace that we can confess and repent of it. And when we talk about sin, when I talk about this, as Christians, we can either fight against our sin or we can just kind of let sin go and we can embrace it and let it become a part of who we are. And sin is going to do one of, the th- one of those two. It's not going to exist in the middle where it just kind of sits in this happy little spot. We either fight against it where we confess, we repent, we strive to put it to death, or we allow sin just to run rampant. And when we allow sin to go without any confession, without any repentance, it can begin to change and shape who we are. It changes where we find our hope. It changes where we find our pleasure. It changes where we run to for comfort, where we run to for peace. Instead of running to God, we begin to run to this sin. Oh, well, this will fulfill me. This will give me what I need. This will get me through this tough time. This will bring me hope. This will bring me joy. And every single one of these sins, just like every sin, leads only to death. Remember... Back when we first started Colossians chapter 3, one of the things that I said as we looked at verse 1 is this passage is directly directed to the church. That Paul, as he's writing this, a lot of times there's parts that it's all to the church, but he's, he's talking to saved and lost as well. Here Paul is talking directly to believers. He's not talking about this uh, to, to sinful people who are, who are lost, who are not part of the church, the, the bad people outside of the church. No, he's talking to the bad people inside the church who still struggle with sin, who still struggle with temptation. Even though we have been saved, we still have that old man that we fight against. That's who Paul is talking to, you and me. And he is saying, put to death sin because if you don't, it will completely take over your life and change what you pursue, change what you chase after, change what you hope in, change what you long for. So sin has the ability to greatly affect who we are. Next, in verses 8 and 9, sin has the power to affect our character. Verses 8 and 9, these are the sins that he lists. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to each other. 
These are what I call relational sins. These are the, the sins that can... All sin can impact the direction of our life, but these are sins that, that show themselves in our relationships with other people. These are sins that really come out in our character, that kind of come out and show who we are. And the idea is that if these are sins that are in our life, the closer we get to God, these are the sins that followed where Paul talked about we must put all of these off, the idea of changing clothes. These are the, the, the sins that as we get closer to God, this is the stuff that we're pushing out. This is the stuff that we're getting rid of. This is the stuff that we're replacing with the fruit of the Spirit instead of this sin. So let's run through these sins real quick. Anger and wrath. This is that burning anger that flares up. Do you get angry just at the drop of a hat? Is that your first response when something happens is just to, to kind of blow up or to lose your temper? That's what this is. Malice. This is a vicious nature bent on doing harm to others. This is putting others down to make yourself look better. Lying about someone so you get the better job or the promotion or you look better in your boss's eyes. Whatever you do to hurt somebody. Then slander is an attempt to belittle someone, to cause them to fall into a bad reputation. Gossip. Stuff that happens on social media where we spread rumors or spread lies. Um, lying about other people. to uh, Mocking other people. Putting others down. Obscene talk. This is filthy talk or dirty speech. Abusive language. Bad language. Uh, Ephesians 4.29 says, Let no corrupting talk come from your mouths, but only such is good for the building up as it fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. As Christians, our language is to be encouraging. The words that we use, the, the phrases that we use, how we talk reflects our walk with God. And then in verse 9, he says, Do not lie to each other. We know what lying is. And so if we are going to make a change in our life, this means making a change in our hearts. And as we make that change in our hearts, as we focus more on God, this is the stuff that is changed, that we are putting off, that no longer fits our life. Being people of wrath or people of malice, being people of gossip, people who lie, that no longer fits our lives, fits who we are as Christians and as believers. So we're to be putting it off. We're to be changing it out of our life. This is to no longer be a part of who we are. And the reality is, if this stays a part of who we are, if we do not fight against this sin, it's going to impact how other people view us. It's going to impact our witness, our ability to testify about who Jesus is and what He has done for us. We can talk about Jesus till we're blue in the face. But if we are full of wrath and anger and we are vicious or we are malice, full of malice uh, uh, or gossip, then people can take everything we say about Jesus and not believe a word of it because our character reveals something different. And so if we do not get this out of our life and it impacts our witness, it impacts how people view God, it impacts our relationships... Look, if this defines who we are, instead of being a people of love and grace that we are called to be, we come across as just jerks. And no one wants to hear about Jesus from someone who's a big jerk. They want to hear about Jesus from someone who loves them, who cares about them, and who shows the love, the compassion, the gentleness, the kindness of Jesus Christ.
And so these sins right here that he's talking about putting off, these are these relational sins that can impact our relationships with others and thus impact the ability that we have to influence the kingdom. Okay, last spot. Three reasons we fight against our sin. we got about seven minutes, but we can do it. First, in verse 6, we see that God hates sin. Why do we fight against our sin? God hates sin. Verse 6 says, On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. God hates sin. Sin is opposite of who God is. God's wrath is God's hatred and justice poured out towards sin. In Revelation chapter 2, as Jesus writes these letters, these letters are sent out to these seven churches, to the church of Ephesus. He says, one of the things that you have in your favor is you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. God does not like, God does not tolerate, God does not excuse sin. That's why Jesus Christ had to die, because God and sin are diametrically opposed, and God hates sin. And if God is our Father, and if God is our King, and if God is the one who loved us enough to send His Son to die for us, if He hates sin, then we should hate sin as well. We should strive to love the things that God loves, hate the things that God hates, And the only thing that God hates is sin. So we fight against sin because God hates sin. In verse 7, we fight against our sin because sin represents who we were before Jesus. In verse 7, it says this, In these you too once walked. This is how you used to live when you were living in them. Paul makes the case, look, these sins that he listed out, the sexual morality, the impurity. He says, this is who you used to be before you became a Christian. This is how you live. This is the stuff that you did. This is what you walked in before you became a Christian. That's who you used to be. Remember, you have died to that. Jesus Christ died on the cross. He took the punishment and the penalty for our sin so that we could reckon ourselves dead to sin, so that we could be forgiven, so that we could have new life if we place our faith and trust in Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Paul writes and he says, this is who you used to be. You're now a new creature, a new creation. You're now a child, a son and daughter of God. This is no longer who you are. That's who you used to be. There has been a change when that cross happens in your life, when salvation happens in your life. It's not just saying some words and getting fire insurance like we talked about last week. It is a change that defines who you are. This is who you used to be. That's how you used to live. Now you are to be and act and live different. Your life is no longer the same. You shouldn't talk the same. You shouldn't act the same. You shouldn't desire the same things that you did when you were lost. There should be a change in your life. That's who you used to be. This is who you are now. And in verse 9 through 11, we see who we are now. That we are in the process of being made to look more like Jesus. In verse 9, after he says, do not lie to each other, he says this. Seeing that you have put off the old self. That's the old man. That's who we used to be with its practices. And we have put on the new self. That's the new clothes, the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We are sons and daughters of God now. Which is being renewed in the knowledge of the Im- after the image of its creator. 
We are in this process of renewal. We are in this process where we are being changed after in the knowledge after our Creator. The more we learn about who God is, the more we see God's goodness, the more we trust God, the more we trust Jesus Christ, we are being renewed. We are being changed to be made into the image of our Creator. The, one of the great things, not the greatest, but one of the great things about Christianity is we are all in this process, if you are a Christian, called sanctification, where we are going from who we used to be to looking more like our Creator. Now, we're not going to look like God in the fact that we're going to be perfect or all-powerful or anything like that, but our characteristics, our character traits should reflect who God is, His love, His grace, His patience, His joy, His peace, His happiness, His faithfulness, His discipline. Our, Our character traits should reflect more of who God is than who we used to be in our sin and in our flesh. And the great thing is, is that as we are being made into the image of our Creator, that doesn't mean that we kind of all kind of go through this system and we kind of come out these Christian robots where we all dress the same and look the same and have the exact same personality. God's not trying to to change our personality where we all all, uh, uh, act and think just like me or we all act and think just like Jay. God is not trying to shape our personality to where we all look and talk and think the same things are funny. God is trying to shape us so that the things we desire are the things that glorify Jesus. The things that we hope for are found in Jesus. That our character traits, who we are, how we react, how we treat other people, show or line up with who God is. God is and not who we used to be before we became Christians. And as God is changing us, He is making us better and trusting Him, but He allows us to stay. He allows Cam to stay Cam, but Cam who loves Jesus and looks more like Jesus than He did before I was saved. And He goes on and He says that we are being renewed in the image of His Creator. Here there is no Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free. But Christ is all and in all. Our life surrendered to Christ, we talked about this last week, means that our identity is found in Christ. Christ is all and Christ is in all. That Christ is how we identify. That I am, yes, I'm a husband, I'm a father, I'm an Ole Miss fan, I like going to the gym, I like drawing, but above all of that, the thing that defines me the most, my identity is defined in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, the one who saved me. Jesus Christ, the one who changed is changing me. The one who died for me. He is the one who defines who I am. Before I'm an American, before I'm white, before I'm from Mississippi or Arkansas, I am a Christian. And that trumps everything else. That I am found in Christ above all. And not only does it impact how I view myself, but it impacts how I view other people. I don't look at people and worry about their race. I don't look at people and worry about where they're from. I don't look at people and worry about their socioeconomic background. I look at people and I see, do they know Jesus Christ? And that is my goal. Not to care about what color they are. Not to care about where they're from. Not to care about what country they're from. But to care about, do they know Jesus? And we are all being renewed in this process, if you are a Christian, to where Christ becomes most important in our life. And that affects everything. It affects how we view ourselves, and it affects how we view other people. 
as Christians, we have been given new life. And a change has happened in our life. And we are called to pursue God, to pursue Christ first and foremost. And that is where life is found and hope and joy and peace. And if we are going to do that, if we are going to be a people who pursue God and pursue Christ, we have to be a people who fight against our sin. We're not going to be perfect. We're daily going to have to confess and repent. But also, we're daily going to have victories where we say no to temptation through the grace of God. Where we say no to to that sin that used to dominate our life. Where we have victory over the sin and the death and destruction that used to rule and reign. And yet now we surrender to the rule and the reign and the love and the goodness of God in Christ. So my question for us this morning, this question that I had to ask myself this week as I studied... Am I fighting against the sin in my life or have I become comfortable with the sin in my life? The only person that can answer that question is you. I can't answer it for you. And it's a question that you have to stand before God and answer and not say, God, am I perfect? God knows we're not perfect. But God, am I fighting against my sin? Am I praying for help? Am I fighting against temptation? Am I memorizing Scripture? Am I confessing my sin when I fall? Am I repenting of my sin? Or am I allowing my sin just to dominate and rule and have its place in my life? As a Christian, if we allow sin to rule in our life, if we give it a spot and we just say, live here and I'll keep you alive in my life because I like you, that sin wants more than we're willing to give. And that sin can never offer And never give what God has offered in Christ Jesus. So God has called us to confess. And God has called us to repent. Because He has something for us that is infinitely greater than what sin could ever offer. So my question for myself, my question for you. Are we fighting against sin? Or are we allowing sin to reign? Let's pray. Father God, we come before you now. and Thank you for this time that you've given us. Father God, we thank You for the cross of Jesus Christ. Father God, I pray right now that You would help each of us. Father God, take honest introspection of our life. Father God, as the psalmist says, God, God, search me and know me and see if there be any offensive or sinful way in me. Father God, I pray that we would be all, all be honest enough before You, God, to say, God, look inside my heart. I don't want any barriers up. God, I want you to have the freedom to look and search. And God, point out anything in my life that doesn't look like you. And Father God, as you pointed out, God, maybe it's something that we've been holding on to for years. Maybe it's become so ingrained in our life that it's a part of who we are. Father God, let us confess it. Let us repent of it because it's not life-giving. All it brings is death and destruction. God, let us trust your goodness. Let us trust your love. Father God, I pray for anyone in this room who does not know you. Father God, I pray, Lord, that this morning, God, as we've looked at the idea of sin, that they would understand the only freedom we have from sin is Jesus Christ. And Father God, for your children, God, that you would remind us, God, that any time we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God, our sin is never too big for your grace. We love you and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we do pray. Amen.